The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. You can take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. This is the third message in the series, The Grace of Giving. We talked last week about the power of the seed, and it's our responsibility simply to sow the seed. I made a big mess in here, and thanks to Pastor Mike and his family for cleaning up after me. I appreciate that very, very much. So today I want to take that one step further. We're going to look at a parable that Jesus told his disciples and a crowd around him about the parable of the talents. And we understand that when he's talking about the talents, he's talking about what God gives us and enables us to sow into those around us and into eternity. So Matthew chapter 25 Beginning in verse 14, we're going to read a long passage this morning, so please stay with me. The Bible says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, anytime Jesus begins a story with, for the kingdom of heaven is like, we need to pay attention. Because he's telling us what our life is supposed to picture or mirror. He's telling us when we come to the kingdom of God, this is what we should see in our lives. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. Listen to this phrase, to each according to his own ability. We need to understand that God knows who we are. He made us. He understands what we can do and what we can't do. He will never put on us more than we're able to handle. He gives us according to our ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. If there's one thing your soul should long to hear, it's that last statement. Every believer on the face of the planet should be longing for the day when we hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the Lord. It goes on to say in verse 22, he who also received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. See, so many times we say, but I don't have that gifting. I don't have that ability. I can't do what you can do. In the economy of God, God's not looking at, or he's not comparing you to someone else. Rather, he's looking at what he gave you. And he understands he gives you according to your ability. And if you do with what he's given you according to your ability and bring a harvest or a result, he's going to say, well done. It's interesting, the same commendation that he gave to the guy who gained five talents, he gave to the guy who gained two talents. So we need to understand God's economy is level regarding you and I. Someone isn't going to get a bigger reward because they had a greater harvest. If we do what he's asked us to do, the reward is the same for you and I. 
I don't know about you, but that's good news to me because I'm that two-talent guy. The Bible goes on to say, verse 24, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you haven't sown, gathering where you haven't scattered. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Listen to me. God isn't interested in getting back what he gave to you. He's interested in multiplication. He's interested in a harvest. He's interested in you sowing what he's given you and bringing a greater result and a greater return. We cannot hide our talent in the ground and think God's going to be pleased. Some of us need to hear that in this room this morning. We went on to read the verse, verse 25, I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. So you should have or you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has 10 talents. We read that verse and that doesn't fit in this age of hyper grace. You see, we're surrounded by teachings that tell us it really doesn't matter what you do or how you live. And I love the song covered. We just sang it. But understand the theology behind it. We need to understand when God invests in us, we have a responsibility to take that investment and make it work for the kingdom of God. It does matter how we live. It does matter how we talk. It does matter how we view our relationships. We see this in this parable of the talent so very, very quickly. So when we look at this parable this morning, I've got to ask you a question. Are you a risk taker or are you a security seeker? All of us are one or the other. Sometimes the idea of taking a risk brings great excitement, even a measure of fear into our hearts at the same time. I mean, think about it. In, in Arizona, 150,000 people every year file a permit to take a rafting trip down the Colorado that's full of class four and class five rapids. People die doing that every single year, but they're lining up to do it. They want to take a risk. Think about it, bungee jumping. Jumping off of an 80-foot tower attached to some little nylon cord and believing somehow it's going to hold you. That's a risk. People do it every day and they pay money to do it. Skydiving, auto racing, scuba diving, snow skiing, horse racing, on and on we can go about the risks we take in our society. Let's boil it down a little closer. 4,000 people every day put money in the stock market for the very first time. Now, that's a risk. That's a risk. They're hoping to risk a little and gain a lot. You see, with the risk, there is that rush of adrenaline. There is that feeling of escaping the ordinary, breaking loose of the bonds of mundane life. There are risk takers. Are you a risk taker? But see, most of us are security seekers. We're committed to a lifestyle of playing it safe. We're committed to a lifestyle of being over-insured. I'm going to eat a low-fat diet so I can live longer. Can I tell you, the purpose is not to live longer here. The purpose is to live forever in eternity. Now, I'm not trying to naysay good, healthy eating or any of that stuff. You go out and eat all the granola and the nuts and the fruits you want to eat. I'm going to have chicken fried steak. You live the way you want to live. Let me live the way I want to live. You hear me, wife? All right. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just playing with you. 
I eat, I eat oatmeal every morning because one day I think I'm going to live forever. No! Kind of like the guy that went to heaven. When he got there, it was so beautiful and so wonderful. And he said, my goodness, if I'd known it was going to be this great, I wouldn't have eaten all the oatmeal and the granola and the alfalfa and the sprouts. I would have came a little quicker. Sometimes we do everything in our power to play it safe here. Understanding that really if we'll take a bit of a risk, the reward is up there. The reward is up there. It's time to understand there is a reward when we take a risk. The parable of the talents tells us about that risk versus reward. It has some striking lessons that we can pull from these verses that we just read. Send your outline, follow it with me. We learn from this parable everything that we have is a gift from God. The master gave according to their own abilities. Everything we have is a gift from God. We learn Jesus encouraged risk-taking. Take what I've given you and go make some more. Cause it to multiply. We learn if we don't use it, we're going to lose it. Come on now. The things that we hold on to the tightest are the things that slip away the easiest. If we don't open our hand and let God flow through our lives, then those things we are trying to conserve will be gone in our lives. If we don't use it, we lose it. It's that simple. And every one of us at one time will give account for what we've been given. We need to understand that. We will give account for what we've been given. So when we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, we need to understand there are three characters outlined in this passage. And one of those three will speak to every person in this room this morning. That's why Jesus tells stories. That's why he gave us this parable, because it's a picture of human nature. It's a picture of who we are. And as we read this passage and walk through it, I want you to understand from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, in the message, Paul said, and God is able to pour blessings out upon you in an astonishing way. Keep that in mind, will you? Because when we open our hand and we become a conduit through which the blessing of God flows, then we're assured God will pour astonishing blessings out upon us. Understand, I'm not preaching get rich quick. I'm not preaching the gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm preaching the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us that when we are open-handed, when we are sowing the seed, when we are focused on doing what God has called us and challenged us and tasked us, and let me go one step further, equipped us to do, then amazing things happen around us. Amazing things occur. You want to see God do something in your life? Take a risk. Take a risk and watch what he does. So look at it with me first. The risk of the five-talent person. Now, for those of you who are five-talent people, and there are many in this room this morning, this should be an encouragement to you. For too long, the gospel has almost been an indictment against those who had possessions, who were wealthy or rich. But in this parable, that individual is the hero, not the villain. Can you say amen? That's good news for you and me. You see, possessions aren't wrong. It's how we deal with those possessions. It's how we hold those possessions. And if we're like the five-talent guy and we understand, I've got to take what he's given me and go make more, then God's going to reward that and bless that. And I am so thankful that you're here and that you're in this room this morning. You see, God doesn't give us things so we can hoard it. So we can store it up, so we can keep it for ourselves, but it gives us blessings to put them into circulation. 
The five-talent person understands risk versus reward. He understands if I choose to invest in God's economy, God's going to bless in his economy in my life as well. You see, I'm convinced this five-talent guy, he didn't buy wheat futures. This five-talent guy, he didn't walk down to the local casino and say, put it all on red. No, he made a wise investment. He understood the future. He understood that there is something greater than what he sees today, and he's got to work today to prepare for tomorrow and to bring the harvest his master expects, the gain his master is looking for. So he took a calculated risk. Can I tell you, going to the casino is not a calculated risk. That's just foolishness. I I just had to come back and tell you that, all right? That's just foolishness. Don't waste your money. Don't put it there hoping, praying that somehow you're going to get rich. It's probably not going to happen. God isn't going to bless that kind of silliness. He took a calculated risk, and over a period of time, the five talents that he was given multiplied into five more talents. He doubled the investment that God placed in his life. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23 says, hard work brings a profit. In other words, he did things right. He did them well. The challenge to the five-talent person is to risk long term. Let me rephrase that. It's to risk in eternity. You see, when we're dealing with investments and stocks and bonds and land and property and businesses, we can predict the outcome based on past experience. But when we step out of that arena and we begin investing in eternity, we have to trust that God is going to bring the outcome. So no matter where you're at in this paradigm, faith is the key element. You have to believe. That God's going to do what he said he would do. You have to believe that God is going to supply and multiply. You have to believe that God's blessings will be poured out on your life in an astonishing way. So the five-talent person, his risk is to invest in eternity, to give a chunk of it away. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. He said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust do corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. And then I love verse 21, pardon me. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, he qualifies it for us. When we make an investment in eternity, it's not going to fade away. It's not going to be eaten. It's not going to be stolen. When we make investments in eternity, it brings eternal dividends. That's good stuff. The real risk to the five-talent guy is to give it away, to invest it in eternity without any visible evidence that the return will be there. But we understand The promise of God always says the return will occur when we invest in the kingdom of God. The five-talent person is a tremendous blessing to the kingdom of God, or can be. Let me say it this way. I think of Acts chapter 4, the story of the disciples needing to feed so many in Jerusalem who had nothing. And there was a man in their midst by the name of Barnabas who was a five-talent guy. The Bible says that Barnabas went out and sold a piece of property that he had, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet so they could minister to those who had nothing. You see, the five-talent guy understands it's my responsibility to invest in the kingdom, to invest in eternity. I said it two weeks ago, but it bears repeating. We need to understand in challenged economies, the church doesn't need less, the church needs more. 
And we need more, not for buildings and utilities. We need more to touch our society with the truth and the power and the grace of a loving God. You know, for so many years, the Pentecostal church in particular was so against compassion ministries. Well, we're not going to feed the poor. We're not going to treat the sick. We're not going to clothe the naked. But suddenly we woke up and we realized if we want an inroad into somebody's heart, fill their belly, belly, put clothes on their back, give them a place to sleep, and they will be open to the presentation of the gospel. So in a challenged economy, the church doesn't need less. The church needs more. In a challenged economy, we as a church don't shrink back and stop investing. We do more than we've ever done before. Someone said, well, what does this church do? How do you sow? How do you invest? Well, I want to tell you, first, we tithe off the tithe. Now, you may not like that. You may not agree with that. But I believe it's good for the goose. It's good for the gander. So we as a church body tithe off the tithe. 10% of our income goes to our conference to help them, support them. And then in addition to that, we give to missions from our budget and additionally from your giving. We sow into the harvest. Additionally, we find partners like Glenn and Beth Burns who are feeding the homeless and housing those who don't have a place to sleep, who are making critical ministry happen on a daily basis, and we partner with them. Come on, folks, hear what I'm saying. As a church... We have a responsibility to sow into eternity. Happens all around us. So I'm not asking, I told you this the first time, I want to call you to a higher standard than what I'm willing to live myself. We sow into the harvest field as a church family. That should actually make you pretty happy. That should actually make you want to shout. That should actually make you want to dance. To know we're really doing something as a church. Oh, come on, it's not about buildings. It's not about brick and metal and steel. It's about hearts and lives. That's the church and how we can touch them and affect them. So the risk for the five-talent person is to give it away. To give it away, believing that as I give it away, God's going to pour it back into my life so I can give it away. So God can pour it back into my life so I can give it away. So God can pour it back into my life. So I can give it away. So God can pour it. Is somebody getting what I'm saying? Would somebody say, man, oh me, shut up and move on? Something, help me out here. The risk for the five talent person is to give it away. Believing in faith that God will bring it back into our lives one more time. Number two, the risk for the two talent person. And let me say this is where the majority of us are at in America. We are two talent people. We're not wealthy. We don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars in stock portfolios, but we're blessed. Our bills are paid. We live a comfortable life. And because of that, our first temptation as two-talent people is to be envious of the five-talent guy. I don't have a $400,000 house. I don't drive a $70,000 vehicle. I don't have all that I need and more already stored up. I don't fly away to exotic places to take vacations. Oh, listen, if we allow that attitude to invade our hearts, it's going to cripple our spiritual existence. We can never be envious of those that God has blessed. Why do I think God has blessed them? Because that's what the parable says. He gave to everyone according to his ability. So stop looking at your brother and look at yourself. What God has given to me. You see, jealousy and resentment are signs of greed and immaturity in the two-talent person. 
That didn't go over very well, did it? Good, I'm going to say it again. Jealousy and resentment are signs of greed and immaturity in the two-talent person. The Bible tells us to rejoice with those that are rejoicing. So when our brother is blessed, I'm going to slap him on the back and say, Great job, old man. Keep it up. Because the more he gives, the more you can do in the kingdom. I'm not going to grouse and gripe and complain because I don't have what you have. I'm going to be blessed because you are blessed. That's the way the kingdom works. Proverbs 28.25 says, A greedy man stirs up dissension, but he who trusts in the Lord, ready for this? He who trusts in the Lord will prosper. I don't know about you, but I like that last promise. He who trusts in the Lord will prosper. The second temptation the two-talent man has is this. It's a temptation to look down on the one-talent guy, a condescending spirit. Well, I'm so glad I'm better than you. I'm so glad I'm not in your boat. Look how God has blessed me. Must be something you're doing wrong in your life because he didn't bless you that way as well. Can I remind you, Jesus Christ owned nothing except the clothes on his back. Yet he also possessed the riches of the kingdom of God. Proverbs 28.6 says, Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. So let me say it this way. God doesn't measure your worth by your wealth. He measures your worth by the character of God alive in you on a daily basis. So stop comparing yourself to everybody else and let God move through you. Until you do that, you will never be able to know the blessing of God in your life. Never. And when I already mentioned it as we read the scripture, but when you look at it again in Matthew 25, the, the two-talent guy received the same commendation as the five-talent guy. Because it wasn't about the amount he brought back, it was the fact that he did what the master told him to do. That he actually invested in, in his master's business. And he brought a reward, a harvest, for the master to participate in. The same thing is said to the guy with two talents as to the guy with five talents. And let me say this. If the guy with one talent would have done what he was supposed to have done, he would have received the same commendation. Has nothing to do with how much you have. It has to do with what you do with what you have. How we invested in the kingdom and in the economy of God. God measured us, measures us by the opportunity He's given us, by the ability He's gifted us with, and by what we do with it. See, this is where the grace gospel kind of runs amok with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it says it doesn't matter what you do or how you do it. I'm here to tell you, if God has made an investment in you, you have a responsibility to make that work for the kingdom. Amen. I know this message won't sell many DVDs, but that's okay. The two talents person's responsibility is to make the most of what God has given him. The most of what God has given him. Do you realize that if a two talent person works for 40 years and he makes $50,000 a year, he's made over $2 million in his lifetime? That's an interesting statistic, isn't it? Two million dollars. And it's not our responsibility to hoard it or to consume it, but it's our responsibility to invest it back into the kingdom of God. So the two-talent guy, the first risk God asks us to take is not to make a huge lump sum donation because we aren't capable of that, but it's to make a weekly investment. It's to bring our tithe into the storehouse. 
See, Malachi 3, 8 through 10 was written to people who lived in modest times and modest means. And Malachi said, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithe and in offerings. You're under a curse because you're robbing me. You see, the Jewish nation was not, excuse me, let me rephrase that. The Jewish nation did not give God one-tenth. It automatically belonged to him. It was his from the very beginning. The next verse says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing, you'll not have room enough for it. What a promise. Try me and see, he says. You don't think it's going to work? Well, put me to the test. I love it when God says, test me, try me, prove me. Because when we do, he's going to come through every single time. When we do, he's going to show up like a champion. When we do, our faith level is going to escalate because we suddenly understand this isn't just about me. It's about me putting my hand in God's hand. And when I do, supernatural things occur. Miracles happen in and through my life. Remember what 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now I'm going to step in your business. Giving you fair warning, all right? So if you don't want to hear this, plug your ears. Then I'll say it five times so you have to hear it, all right? According to statistics, the average income in Tallahassee is $44,242 a year. According to our giving records last year, we had 421 giving units in Christian Heritage Church. Now, because some of those may have given one time, may have been visiting, I've cut that number to 300. So let's just say there are 300 giving units in Christian Heritage Church that give on a regular, consistent basis. Well, if those 300 on an average income of $44,242 a year simply gave 10% or their tithe, now, are you ready for this? We would see an increase in our income of 50%, over $500,000 a year. Wow. That should cause us to say, God, what do you want to do through me? I want to do a whole lot more than the minimum. We pay tithe on our gross, but we don't stop there. We give to missions. We give to outreaches. We give every time we have a chance because I know the more I sow, the more I'm going to reap. I understand that. Years ago, a guy came to me. He was fairly well off. The economy had gotten pretty shaky. He was worried about his investments, and he said, you know, I've been praying about what God wants me to do because I've been a big giver all my life, but now I'm not certain what tomorrow holds. He said, and as I was praying about it, God reminded me of Psalm 37. Let me read a few verses to you. Verse 16 says, a little that the righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. Verse 19 says, they shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. Verse 23 says, the steps of good men are ordered by the Lord. He delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Verse 25, David said, I've been young, and now I'm old. 
But I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. That man said to me, I read that scripture. God spoke into my heart and I realized I have nothing to fear. I'm just going to keep on sowing, keep on investing, keep on giving, keep on finding ways to bless the kingdom of God because God's promise is true over my life. I'm going to test him. I'm going to prove him. I'm going to try him and let him prove his power in and through my life. One talent person also has a risk. The one talent guy had several risks. He made a lot of mistakes in his thinking. His theology was seriously flawed. First, he was filled with self-pity. He said to the master, I knew you were a hard man. You reaped where you did not sow. I felt sorry for myself because I knew what you would do to me if I failed. Self-pity. Come on, can I tell you? You got to break out of that nonsense. You got to stop seeing yourself the way the world sees you and see yourself the way God sees you. That's why I love covered. I'm justified. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. His blood runs through my veins. I'm a son of the king. I'm a child of God. Oh, I've got something to be happy about. I'm not going to pity myself. Take your party and go on down the road. Come on, church. You have reason to rejoice. Not reason to be filled with self-pity. Secondly, he was fearful. He said, I was afraid because of who you are. And his fear caused him to bury that in the ground. Third, the master says, you're wicked and you're lazy. Well, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear, well done. Well done. Don't, I don't want to hear you're wicked and you're lazy. And then the master said, you're unimaginative. You should have at least put my money with the bankers. Then it would have had interest along with the one talent I gave you. The result, the one talent guy, because of his attitude, because of his heart, lost what he was given. Listen to me, folks. You need to understand, when God gives us gifts and talents and abilities, it's for a purpose. And yes, you may not have five talents, but you've got one. And it's up to you to take the one he's given you and multiply it. Sow it into the kingdom. Bring a reward for the Son of God and the kingdom of God. See what God will do through it. Now let me step down in your business one more time. Some in this place say, I'm poor. I can't afford to give. I'm unemployed. I work an $8 an hour job. Can I tell you, being poor does not exempt you from the economy of God. Matter of fact, I've been poor. I grew up poor. And I can tell you that if that is where you're at economically, if you will begin to sow what you have, God will help you. He'll take you from an $8 an hour job to a $12 an hour job. He'll take you from being unemployed to being employed. He'll take you from being uh, down and out to being up and in in the kingdom of God. If you'll simply trust his word. Say, well, when I get my bills paid, I'll start paying tithe. What faith does that take? When I get out of debt, I'll start giving to God. What faith does that take? You see, I learned long ago that if I've got a mountain in front of me, I can hit it with a spoon or I can call God into my side and he hits it with a bulldozer. I'm going to ask him to come and hit it with a bulldozer. If you've got a problem facing you, you need to learn to invest in the kingdom of God and then watch what God will do. 
Folks, this isn't pie in the sky stuff. This is stuff I've learned through 58 years of living life. Living life sometimes in a very difficult spot, in a difficult place. I know if I test him, he proves himself to me. If I operate in faith, then he responds to my faith. It's even in the Old Testament. Leviticus 5, 7 says, If you can't afford a lamb, tell him to bring two doves or two pigeons to the Lord as the penalty for our sin. So even then, the poor were not exempt from bringing a sacrifice. God didn't just say, oh, don't worry about it. You draw a pass because you are unemployed. That's not what he said. If you're drawing unemployment, pay on your unemployment. Come on, give God an opportunity to prove himself to you. I can see that next week there's going to be 32 people here. Come on, folks, I'm trying to help you today. I'm trying to get you from where you're at to where God wants you to be. you got to buy into the principles of the kingdom and understand, if I apply what God has spoken, then God shows up in my life. And he does great and mighty things. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Paul said on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So if you're a one-talent person, don't be intimidated by the two-talent or the five-talent guy. Just say, Lord, I thank you for what you've given me. I'm going to invest it in your kingdom. I believe in your economy. And God, I believe that as I choose to put my one talent to work for you, you are going to prosper. You are going to bless. You are going to provide. You are going to sustain. You're going to do whatever I need, whenever I need it, when I choose to put your word in action in my life. Jesus sat at the temple one day, and for some reason he was sitting beside the offering box. And that people were coming in, the rich were throwing in their big offerings. But then there came a widow. She didn't have much at all. Matter of fact, the Bible says she had a mite. Less than one cent. But she dropped it in. And Jesus said to his disciples, that woman gave more than all the rest. They gave out of their abundance, she got out of her need. See, we need to understand, it doesn't matter where we're at economically, when we choose to apply the principles of God, listen, this is truth, it breaks the cycle of poverty over our life. We are freed and we are liberated. God begins to elevate us in every aspect of our being when we choose to honor his word. It's an amazing thing that happens when we step into the promises of God. No matter the size of your gift, God will use it and multiply it. They're on the hillside, 5,000 men had listened to Jesus preach. They got hungry. Jesus said to his disciples, we need to feed them. They said, all we have is a boy with two loaves and a few fishes. What are we going to do with that? And so Jesus took that bread and those fish. He broke it, the Bible says. He blessed it, the Bible says, and he told them to distribute. And when they're all done, they picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers from a few fish and a few loaves of bread and fed 5,000 men plus the women and the children. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how small what you have is. If you'll bring it to God and believe that he's going to break it and he's going to bless it, then you're going to find there's more than enough for you as well. When we choose to honor God, giving reminds us of several things, that God is in charge, that God will fulfill his promises, that God will multiply your gifts, and that we have a mission, and that mission is to reach the lost. You see, our responsibility to the seed is not to preserve it, 
It's not to hoard it. Our responsibility to the seed is to scatter it. It's to sow it. It's to put it where God wants it placed so that we can see a harvest. Zig Ziglar said it's very risky when a plane leaves a runway. But it's even more risky when that same plane sits on the ground and begins to rust and decay. See, so many times we look at giving, the attitude of giving, as a great risk. I'm here to tell you, if God's your banker, there is no risk. If God is your source and your supply, there is no risk. You can have no problem sowing into the kingdom of God, knowing that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mind, will supply your needs. There's no risk. No risk. When we understand the economy of the kingdom, heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this place this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray now that you speak to hearts. You speak to lives. You cause faith to arise in men and women and boys and girls right now. There are some in this room who've never accepted you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that now the Spirit of God will convince and convict. And that now, in this moment, they would be ready to receive and accept you as their Savior. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed across this room this morning. I just prayed for you. This morning, since the moment you walked in, something's been happening inside of you that's a bit foreign and unknown. Can I tell you, that's the Holy Spirit. He's knocking on the door of your heart, and He's saying, if you'll open the door, Jesus Christ is going to come in. He's going to forgive you. He's going to change you. He's going to revolutionize your life for the good. And he's going to write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And your eternity is altered then from hell to heaven forever and ever and ever. I prayed for you and I'm talking to you. That's you. Right where you sit, you say, Pastor, I need to receive Jesus today. I want to be forgiven. I want to know that when this life is over, my eternity is with God. That's you right where you sit. Slip up your hand and say, pray for me across this room this morning. Yes, someone else. Slip up your hand and pray for me. Pray for me. I want Jesus in my heart and in my life today as I wait another moment. Yes, yes, I see those two. Someone else. God's talking to you. Nothing to be afraid of or ashamed of. I remember the day I lifted my hand and walked an aisle, knelt at an altar and said, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. So wait another moment, you'll join these three. Slip up your hand and say, that's me, I need forgiveness. I need God to come into my life and change me. So wait a moment. Anyone else? Stand to your feet with me across this room, please. The three of you who lifted your hands, I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. It takes courage. I want you to step out, walk down that aisle closest to you and meet me right here. Yvonne, come please. Meet me right here. Come on, welcome them. They're making the greatest decision of their life. Come on. Come on, the greatest decision of their life. To accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Come on, church, you can do better than that. Welcome them into the kingdom of God today. This is exciting stuff. This is why we come to church. To see people born into the kingdom of God. Those of you who've responded, look directly at me. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me, all right? There's nothing magical about the prayer. What happens is when we express the faith in our heart that God has given us in His Son, Jesus Christ, then He comes down. 
And He forgives us. He cleanses us. He changes us. And He alters our destiny. That's what's going to happen to you in just a few moments. If you didn't raise your hand, but you should have, pray this prayer with us this morning as we pray it out. Everyone, pray it with me. Would you just close your eyes right now? Bow your heads. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. I can't save myself. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to come into my life. Cleanse me of my evil ways. Wash my sins away by the blood of Jesus. Make me a new person right now. You said in your word, if we believe in our hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ and confess with our mouth that God hath raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for cleansing me. Thank you for doing a work of salvation in my life today. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for changing my heart. Thank you for ministering life to me today. In Jesus' name. Nancy, would you step forward and lead them out to 103? Doug Apple will meet you there. If you'll go with Nancy, she's going to give you some more information. Come on, welcome them into the kingdom this morning. Hallelujah. God bless you. We love you. We're so glad you're here today. I know that I know that when I preach on giving, a lot of folks don't want to respond publicly. So I've asked Tom to bring out an old hymn of the church. It says, I surrender all. As you sing this, I challenge you. Surrender every facet of your life. Surrender your home. Surrender your finances. Surrender your future. Lay it all on his altar, believing that if I test him, if I prove him, he's going to show me what great and mighty things he can do. We just sing it out with us this morning. I surrender all. Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com.